Okay. Uh, so we uh, we uh, finished Romans chapter 16, and uh, for those of you who are math whizzes, that means we finished Romans. Uh, but uh, uh, kind of beginning uh, next week. Uh, we want to, uh, or I want to, I should say. I don't know what you want to do, but that's too bad. No. Uh, uh, over the next couple months or so, I'd like to take time to look at various passages from Scripture. Probably most, maybe all of them, will be from the Psalms, but because uh, I'm not sure exactly which ones we'll be doing, so we may uh, venture out into some other places. Uh, but next week, I'd like to look at Psalm 45, which I hope I can do in one Sunday. But Psalm 45 is a, uh, uh, a psalm that I particularly enjoy and have always enjoyed. Uh, and uh, so I'm looking forward to spending some time next week. So we're looking at one verse a week. One verse. <laughs> Ron is such an optimist. <laughs> Uh, but today I want to do something a little different. Um, I I want to share with you some things that uh, that God has been doing in my own life, things He's been teaching me, and and direction that He's been giving me. And I want to share these things with you, uh, just uh, so you know what's going on with me, and also. Uh, because it has a bearing on you and what you do and what you think and uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, well, I picked that up from Ronnie, didn't I? That et cetera, et cetera. He does that. I got that from him. I've got to reform myself now. Uh, but at any rate, uh, so that's what I, I want to do today. So it's going to be kind of casual. I'm just going to be sharing. Uh, we may look at a few verses, but... Uh, primarily, I just want to share some of my own experience and what God has been doing. Some of these things I've shared with some of you already, uh, and you're aware of them. So if I contradict what I said earlier, you can call me on it. Uh, but uh, And feel free, if you have uh, questions or whatever, to, to interject your questions. But, but uh, particularly over the last... I don't, I don't know how long. I've tried to think back how long has this been going on. Uh, and I, I, I can't really pin it down, but for several years now, probably six or seven, eight, maybe ten years, uh, the Lord has had me kind of on a, uh, on a, I don't know if you call it a quest or a, uh, uh, just a, a kind of an accelerated learning program uh, in several areas, actually, where I've been, uh, he's just had me uh, thinking about things, contemplating things, doing uh, uh well, I'd say a great deal of reading. I guess that depends on your perspective. For some people, it probably wouldn't be anything at all. I've got a daughter that reads, I don't know how many books a week. And so she doesn't think I read much. She actually, she thinks I read fine. But <laughs> but uh, I'm always intimidated by her because she reads so much. And and uh, some of you who may not read much might think I do a lot of reading. So uh, so I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, I've been doing a lot of reading, a lot of discussion with other people, talking about... Uh, issues. Uh, I've been I had the opportunity to go through three years of roundtable, uh, which uh, precipitated a lot of these some of these thoughts that I've been going through. Um, but a lot of this is a lot of this has been precipitated by what Paul says to Timothy there. He in Second Timothy when he 
he's writing Second Timothy. Uh, it's, of course, the last epistle that he writes, and he writes it uh, shortly, we believe, before he was finally martyred. And he's giving kind of his last, we think of these as his last words to Timothy. And, and it's always been a very meaningful book to me. Uh, but in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2, he says in verse 15 to Timothy, he says, uh, to uh, study, to show yourself approved unto God. Now, you can translate that word study different ways. It could simply mean to be diligent or whatever. But the idea of the verse is that he was exhorting Timothy to work hard or study or be diligent in how he handled the scriptures uh, so that he could be uh, so he could be a faithful servant that he could handle the scriptures accurately and so he could speak effectively uh, in the environment that he lived in and that's always been a challenge to me I've never I've never felt like I could rest on my laurels I never felt like I like I had grown enough or learned enough or whatever that that uh, I could I could now coast on what I know. But uh, the more I, and I'm sure you find this true, too, in your own experience, the more I learn, the more I realize I don't know. OK. And so oftentimes when, for example, when I'm reading some book or something, I find myself as I'm reading the book you know, and, and the author may quote other authors or other books. And then I go, oh, I need to read that because I need to understand that or whatever. So the more I learn, the more I need, the more I find I need to learn. And and I've always been challenged by the thought that a lot of times as people get older, they kind of mentally they slow down mentally. They they kind of just think, well, you know, I've already invested all the energy and effort and what good will it do for me to learn more at this point in my life? And that's not been my philosophy. Uh, I've always felt the need to grow and learn more and and particularly in those things that interface with our faith that interface with our walk with Christ and our and our living out our faith in the world and communicating our faith in the world. So, so, so that's one thing that's been happening in my life, and 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 I've been studying a lot. I'll, I'll list some areas later if we get some time, but but I've been studying a lot about the evidences and the arguments for our faith. Why why do we believe what we believe, and 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 and. Uh, when when the world questions what we believe or when people question what we believe or when I have questions that come up in my mind about what I believe, how do I answer those things? And what are the evidences that I have for my faith? I thought a lot about and, and studied a lot about how the church interfaces with the world. How do we how do we interact with the world? How do we relate to the world? We live in a world that's just radically changing, you know, just unbelievable pace. If you think back where we were culturally, socially, technologically, just 25 years ago, you know, the, the speed of change of the world we live in is just mind boggling. When you think that for most of history, most people lived and died in a world that was virtually identical all the way through their whole life. They were born in a place and, and society and culture and technology remained largely unchanged throughout their entire lives. That's pretty hard for us to relate to, isn't it? So we live in a world that's just rapidly changing. The question is, how... How, do, how does the body of Christ interface with that world? How do we interact with that world? And those are, that's one of the areas that I've been thinking a lot about. And, 
and then uh, and, and then another area is the question of uh, question of worldviews. Uh, it's kind of a term we throw out a lot, but but it's it's how people kind of it's it's the glasses through which they view reality. If we want to think of worldviews in that way, and and there are various worldviews out there, and there are very few people, if any, who have a pure worldview. In other words, we, we tend to kind of mix and match. We pick a little bit up from this worldview and we pick and we kind of put it all together. So so hopefully for most of us in this room, we are uh, we hold it what we would hope would be a Christian worldview. And we view things uh, from a Christian perspective and from a biblical perspective. But there are other worldviews out there and some of those influences. And oftentimes we subconsciously pick things up from those other worldviews. So. Uh, there's, for example, the worldview of, of naturalism, and uh, there's the worldview of pantheism. Uh, there's Islam. There's all these other worldviews out there, and oftentimes, just because they're in the culture and they're floating around, those ideas get in our minds, they get in our brains, and we begin to think in those ways. And we may not even realize that it's that in some way we have compromised the Christian worldview, and. Uh, so, so I've been thinking a lot about worldviews and ideology and, and, and that sort of thing. So that's, that's one area where God's been working in my life. It's just this area of growth and learning. Uh, the second area is just this, uh, uh, just a, uh, I guess the best way to say it is just a concern for the church. And... Uh, and there are kind of that kind of breaks down into a couple categories. One is uh, uh, how how does the church remain true in the face of the pressures of the culture, the growing resistance to our faith, and the reality that Christianity is becoming a minority influence in our culture. Okay, how. How does the church remain true? In in Jude three, uh, uh, Jude says uh, he he's uh, admonishing the believers he's writing to there, and he he urges them. He says to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I love that verse. <laughs> the faith once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, Jude's concern was that was that the apostolic faith that was handed down to the saints in the first century was the faith that was to be preserved for all time. Okay? And he was admonishing the saints back there in the first century to contend earnestly for that apostolic faith, for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And and I asked myself the question, how do we as a church and how do I as a member of the body of Christ, I'm not thinking just of Trinity here, but of the body of Christ, how do I, what part can I play in ensuring, you can't ensure, Christ is the only one that can ensure this, but how can I play a part uh, in, in, in being or contributing to the church being faithful 
to the faith once for all delivered to the saints 50 years from now. In other words, how do I know that 50 years from now the church is still going to be true to the faith once for all delivered to the saints? There are a lot of pressures that would make that not happen. Now, ultimately, I don't question that there is going to be a faithful church 50 years from now because I believe that, uh, that it is Christ's church and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But that being said, that does not relieve me of my responsibility or you of your responsibility. It's kind of like uh, when I was raising my kids. Now, I had a responsibility to raise my kids. If I had decided not to do it, somebody else probably would have. Might have been the state. You know, might have been the grandparents. I don't know who would have done it. Somebody might have done it. But I would have been accountable for having failed to do my job. Okay? And so it's kind of, it's kind of the same thing with the church. I believe the church is going to succeed. I believe the church is going to triumph. The question is, am I going to do my part? And what is that part? Okay? So that's one of the things that I, that I, that I wrestle with. How can I be sure the church will be 50 years from now, after I'm dead and gone, how can I be sure the church will be what God wants it to be, faithful to the, faithful to the faith? Uh, and then the, the second thing about the church, this is all in kind of the second category of my concerns about the church. The second thing is, uh, how can a church be relevant in a sinful world? How, how do we maintain our relevance uh, in the world. In, in uh, First Chronicles uh, 12, or First Chronicles 13, uh, Israel is right in the middle of the upheaval between the reign of Saul and the reign of David. Okay, so David is not even at Jerusalem yet. He's still in Hebron and Saul has died. And so there's all this upheaval and it's describing the transition from the reign of Saul to the reign of David and it's describing these people that are coming over to David's camp and one group of people who's coming over to David's side so to speak is a group uh, the sons of Issachar and it says there in, in second, uh, First Chronicles 13 uh, verse 32 it says the sons of Issachar it says who with a knowledge of what Israel should do so one of the outstanding things, one of the things that the Holy Spirit points out to us about the sons of Issachar at this critical juncture in, in, in Jewish history is that they knew what Israel should do. And, uh, and uh, so I ask myself this question is, as the church faces all kinds of issues around it, there's all kinds of pressures, how do we know what we should do as a church? And again, I'm not speaking just of Trinity specifically, but I'm speaking of the body of Christ. Certainly it has application at Trinity. But, but um, because in our culture, we, we have, like I mentioned, these worldviews and things like this. But, but we, we, ha- we just have a, a growing, at this particular point here in America, we have a growing resistance to the Christian faith. So, so you just have a, you have a uh, just kind of an attitude of resistance to the faith that didn't exist 50 years or 100 years ago. Okay, the, the world that I was born into was hostile to Christianity. The world's always been hostile to Christ, 
So, but there's a there's a there's an increasing hostility to Christian values and to Christian concepts that we've never had before. There's there's even a kind of overt uh, militant atheism. We call them the new atheists. Okay, and so there's there's kind of, there's always been atheists, of course. There's been atheists since the beginning of time, uh, but. But but atheism has developed kind of a certain a portion of a, a segment within atheism has developed a, a very militant attitude uh, towards religion in general and towards Christianity specifically. And they're writing books and vigorously attacking the Christian faith. How does the church respond to that? How do we answer that? Um, uh, how, how do we... Um, How do we uh, how do we function in the world without and be and be relevant in the world without becoming worldly? Yeah. Um, and and in the last seventy five hundred years, the evangelical faith has not handled this real well. A couple sometimes. Okay. So, for example, uh, about a hundred years ago, in in reaction to uh, uh, in, in reaction to uh, kind of enlightenment rationalism, uh, the, the, there was a, a segment of the church that, that uh, was very concerned about the way things were going. And so their reaction turned into what became known as fundamentalism. Now, the fundamentalists beginning about 100 years ago were really pretty on target and they had some... Uh, some uh, actually had a book they published, The Fundamentals. It's a tremendous book on Christian doctrine and, and the essentials of the Christian faith, the things we cannot compromise on. So it started out very well in that regard, but over the next decade or two, uh, fundamentalists began to kind of, uh, their response to the world was to withdraw from it. So, so uh, fundamentalists became... Uh, and, and I have a lot of experiences because I grew up in it. Okay, fundamentalists became very uh, uh, anti the world in in the sense that they kind of wanted just to develop their own little kind of enclave and live within that enclave. And and so separation meant from the world uh, meant not not associating with the world, uh, uh, not. Not participating in the discussions that the world uh, was engaged in, and, and those sorts of things. So it became very uh, anti-intellectual, uh, and, uh, and and uh, it became there became a, a reaction even against the idea of reason. So so there was this kind of mentality: you just believe. You don't have to have reasons for your belief. You just believe. Okay. Well, uh, that might work very very well in your little enclave. But if you're trying to communicate the gospel in a skeptical world, that doesn't work very well. And so what happened is fundamentalism got marginalized and the Christian church lost much of its testimony and influence. Some of the things that we're wrestling with today in the, in the, in the inability of the church to communicate in this world and, and to be considered relevant in the world, some of that is the fruits of fundamentalism that we lost our credibility with the world, okay, <clears throat> in, in that sense. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, <clears throat> uh, 
then <clears throat> then we had a kind of a a reaction to um, actually we had one very positive reaction to fundamentalism was a reform movement that started in the late 40s and early 50s led by Billy Graham and Carl Henry and guys like that that saw where fundamentalism had gone off track and tried to uh, bring it back and actually were quite successful in some regards and <clears throat> but uh, but then uh, and I'm not sure about the time frame of this probably talking about 80s late 80s mid, mid to late 80s or whatever you have another response kind of a reaction to fundamentalism <clears throat> and uh and the desire of evangelicals to figure out how to communicate the gospel in the culture and that sort of thing. And, and so then you had kind of the opposite swing from fundamentalism in the emergent church movement. And so the emergent church movement looks around and it sees that there's it sees these ideas of postmodernism and that sort of thing. So it tries to incorporate in its gospel message these concepts and philosophies of post modernism well <clears throat> one of the unfortunate things about that was by the time the emergent church got around to adopting uh, and adapting itself to postmodernism postmodernism as a worldview was on its way out in the culture <laughs> and uh, uh, so we were really kind of Johnny come lately on that but not only that it, 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 there were serious ways in which it compromised the gospel it compromised the faith once for all delivered to the saints so my point is is that in the past, the church has not always done well in figuring out where is the culture going and how do we relate to it and continue to be faithful to the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So these are just some of the things that I've been wrestling with. So the first area was just things God's been teaching me. The second thing is my just issues about the church that I've been thinking about and praying about, talking with others about. And then the third thing... The third concern I had comes from a passage in 2 Timothy, again, 2 Timothy in chapter 4, right there towards the end. When, uh, when Paul is summarizing his own life in verse 6, and he says, I have fought the good fight, I have, uh, I have fought the fight, I have run the race. Uh, this is, now, I can't, now I can't quote it. Let me go over and read it to you so we got to get it right. You can probably quote it yourself. But... Uh, <clears throat> Second uh, Timothy, uh, uh, verse seven. Excuse me. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. This is this is the testimony at the end of Paul's life. And I am now sixty-six years old. I know you didn't think I was that old. You thought I was in my forties, right? <clears throat> but I'm actually sixty-six years old. Okay. My mother died in her early seventies. My father died when he was about. 86. Okay. So obviously at this point in my life, I'm starting to think in terms of, you know, I'm, I've got, there, there's a time limit here. Of course, we all, none of us ever know, even when we're young, we never know how long we have to live. And some of us are surprised we lived as long as we have. <laughs> but, but if I just assume, which is a pretty bold assumption to make in the first place, that I'm going to live a normal lifespan and live about as long as my father lived, that gives me about 20 more years. And the question is, what am I going to do with those 20 years? And are those 20 years going to be well invested? Remember how the psalmist says, Lord, teach us to number our days so that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And so one of the 
one of the things I'm thinking about a lot, and particularly since my father died here uh, eight, nine years ago or whatever it was, is I realized, oh, he's gone. That means I'm next. <laughs> you know? Well, I've got two older brothers maybe. You know, but, but, you know, you start thinking in those terms when your parents die. You start thinking about, hmm, that means, you know, first it was your great-grandparents died, and then your grandparents, and then your parents, and then you realize, you know, if the cycle goes according to normal, I'm next. And the question is, two questions, is what am I going to do with those 20 years? If I have 20 years. Maybe I have 30. Maybe I have two. What am I going to do with them? And when I get to that point, if I'm fortunate enough to know that I'm dying when I'm dying, when I get to that point, am I going to be able to say with Paul, I have fought a good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. So these are... These are the things I've been wrestling with and thinking about. So learning all this stuff, thinking about the church, and thinking about the time I have left. And I've been praying about those things. And one of the things that I've been praying is I've been saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do with what you have given me? So, so in addition to the knowledge of the scriptures and theology and that sort of thing that God has built into my life over many, many years. And, and, and then all these other things that God has been allowing me to learn and study and contemplate and think about. And I, and I keep going, Lord, I, I just I can't get enough of this stuff. I just have this appetite for this stuff and I find myself, you know, I, I can't wait till break time comes so I can go sit down and read for 15 minutes, you know. I can't wait till lunch time comes so I can go sit down and, you know, I'm trying to eat a sandwich and hold a book at the same time, you know, because I just, I, I just, you know, and, 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 and the Lord's allowing me to learn stuff and I'm going, why? What, what, what do you want to do with all this? And uh, so, what do you want me? What do you want me to do with what you've given me? And then, what do you want me to do with the time I have left? Those are the things I've been praying about and thinking about. Well, here several months ago, I was reading a book, and uh, and it was written by a theologian. Actually, he's a Southern Baptist theologian, and uh, he's since uh, he was at one of our Southern Baptist seminaries. He's since gone on to to another Christian uh, institution. He's now the president of another Christian uh, college. And, uh, uh, but he was, he was writing a book on, uh, on evangelicalism, and I was reading it. And, and uh, because he was a theologian, he was throwing out a lot of, and, and a philosopher, he was throwing out a lot of terms that, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm not sure I quite get what he's saying here, whatever, you know. And so I, I need to talk to somebody about this book. And so I thought, you know, who here at Trinity would be the best, you know, and of course Ryan Polk pops in mind because he always reads all this uh, obtuse, you know, convoluted stuff. And so I thought, you know, well, you know, so I cornered Ryan out here in the hall and I said, Ryan, I've been reading this book and, uh, and I was going to bring it, and I was hoping I could tempt him into reading it and then we could talk about it. So I said to him, uh, I said, uh, I, I've been reading this book by uh, so-and-so. He says, oh, yeah, I love him. And I've never heard of the guy before, you know. And, uh, and I says, I've been reading this book, and I named it. And he says, oh, yeah, I just read that about three months ago. And I'm like, great. I said, 
I need to talk with somebody about it. So we uh, scheduled breakfast together a couple weeks later, and we got together and 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 we were uh, discussing this book and and the various points that the guy made and that sort of thing. But at the end, Ryan had a, an agenda, <laughs> and uh, he <laughs> he said uh, uh, he said uh, he said Rick, I I'd like to ask you to consider doing something. He said, uh, we on the, uh, I don't know if he said the church staff or church leaders, or I don't know who, how he put it, but he said, we on the church staff feel that uh, we need to have a uh, one-year repeating campus group on the subject of apologetics. And uh, we have uh, been... Uh, thinking about it and praying about it and and uh, the only person we can think of that's available and qualified to teach it is you. So we would like to ask you to consider taking a campus group on what he called apologetics. As we've talked about it uh, uh, over the months since then, uh, it really, in my mind, and I think in his mind as well, includes more than what most people think of as simply apologetics. But, but that's kind of the general framework of what they were having in mind and the need, the need in the church for that subject to be, uh, to be handled. And so he, he asked if I would pray about that and think about that. And so I had an opportunity to share with him some of these things that God's been doing in my life. And, and that, in fact, that might be an answer to prayer. And so I, uh, uh, you know, we have these, we have several campus groups that are like this, that are one-year campus groups. So we have one on marriage. We have one on discipleship. Uh, I think there's another one, as I recall. But they just repeat every year so new people can come in every year and then move on to other classes. And, and they were <coughs> he was asking if I would consider... Uh, doing that, and he told his time. He said, he said. Uh, now, of course, this doesn't put any pressure on you. He says, uh, he says. Now, uh, Rick, he says we don't have a plan B. <laughs> so, so if you're not going to do this, it isn't going to get done. He since qualified that. He he said. Uh, he said later. He said. Uh, he said we realize this is so important. We got to have a plan B. So if Rick doesn't do it, we're going to figure out a way to get it done. <clears throat> but uh, so uh, just. I guess he was trying to remind me nobody's indispensable. But uh, so, uh, so at any rate, then the question is, what does God want me to do? So, um, well, let me back up a second. Some of the things that, uh, that would be addressed in this class if, uh, if it were to materialize, as Ryan and I were talking about it, uh, was one we all have we all have nagging questions don't we you know we, we like to think we're really strong Christians but in the back of our minds sometimes those questions pop up in our minds when you read the story of Jesus walking on the water and you stop and really think about it your mind goes, really? Really? Yeah. Or even more, Peter getting out of the boat. 
and walking on water. Now, because we are Christians and because we have a commitment of faith, we believe that that actually happened. But that doesn't keep those questions from coming up in our mind, right? Or, uh, did you ever really stop and think about the feeding of the 5,000? How did that actually practically work? I know I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to say, what did that look like, you know, when he's taking a loaf of bread and he just keeps breaking the same loaf of bread? I mean, these questions come to our mind, right? At least they do to mine. Maybe they don't to you. Maybe you're so strong in faith these questions never go through. But they come to my mind. So we all have these kind of nagging questions. Or when, or when a scientist begins to talk and he begins to explain how religion evolved and faith evolved and it's a it's a physiological, it's a physical, it's a material thing going on in our brain. And I'm going, oh, really? You know, and then I have to stop and I have to think, okay, you know, how do I answer that? How do I answer the suggestion that, that religion is just a product of evolution and there is no God? You know? How do I answer those questions? Well, we all have these nagging questions. And the problem with these nagging questions, and they're not questions that derail us. They're not questions that, that keep us from believing and trusting God. They're just things that irritate us. You know, they're just back there in our mind. They don't have to be. There are answers to these questions. And the problem with these questions is that sometimes I believe, I think they actually, they, they just kind of, hinder a little bit our prayer life. They hinder our fellowship with God. Because these things just kind of bouncing around back in there and we, we're, we're starting to talk to God and we're getting really close to Him and then one of these questions comes in and we don't have a good answer for it. And we go, well, God, I'm just going to trust you on it. And that's fine. But it still has an effect on us. And the thing is, there are answers to those questions. There are ways to deal with those. Okay? And... Uh, uh, and, and a lot of other questions that we have. Okay, So they're the questions that I personally have. Then there's the questions that my friends and my family members who are believers that have. That. Okay. So I have a, a child, a son, or a daughter, or a wife, or a husband who asks a question. And it's not that they're wanting to chuck the faith out the window. It's just a question they have. And I go, oh, I have an answer for that. And I want to be able to answer my family and my friends when they ask these questions. And then there's, of course, uh, the unbelievers, the skeptics, and even the seekers. And uh, maybe they're even sincere in seeking and trying to understand the Christian faith, but they, but they have these really big questions. And, uh, and, and they want to understand... You really believe the world was created by God? But hasn't science proven that we don't need God? Isn't God, isn't your God just kind of a God of the gaps, the things you don't know, you just plug God in there? And then eventually our knowledge fills that in and we don't need God anymore? And so our our friends and our acquaintances and people at work and people we're trying to share Christ with, they ask these questions 
And these are the kind of questions that the, that that uh, that the church feels we should be equipping people to be able to answer. Okay. So uh, so those are some of the things that are are behind Ryan's request. And in the course of over the next few weeks of just talking with Ryan from time to time about things, he. Uh, he mentioned an interaction that he'd had with Spencer Ledbetter. How many of you know who Spencer Ledbetter is? Okay. Those who've been around a long time, you know. He's a, he's a big old black preacher. He's preached here at Trinity several times, uh, usually when we were between pastors or whatever. But he's from the metro area. I don't know where actually he, he, his primary ministry is. But, uh, but uh, Ryan was, uh, recently was talking with Spencer Ledbetter and they were talking about this area of apologetics and Spencer just shared with him. He says, well, you know, we, when we think of apologetics, we, what we normally think of, we think of young people like high school students and college students because those are the people that have all these questions. And these are the people that are kind of out there in the classroom and they're getting confronted with all these, all this worldly thoughts and stuff. So typically those are the people we think need apologetics. But Spencer was sharing with Ryan. He says, he says you know, who I think really needs apologetics our mothers. Our mothers. Why? Because they have these little kids and not so little kids and they're growing up and they're growing up in the church and they're asking questions and we need to equip mothers to answer these questions. And I would add, <laughs> and fathers too. <laughs> okay. We need, we need to be equipping them. And so Ryan was sharing with, uh, uh, sharing that with me. Well, that just kind of illustrates how these questions are out there and we need to equip people to be answering them. So I'm facing this very difficult decision. And as we were looking at when we were going through Romans 15 about Paul and going to Rome and when does he go to Rome, one of the things we're thinking about, every time you make a choice, you preclude something, right? Every time you choose to do one thing, you preclude something else. It's just the nature of choice. It's the nature of decision. Which means if I... If I chose to do that, that Ryan was asking me to do, that means I can't do this, which is teach this class. Okay? So there's these choices to make. And, uh, and this is a very hard choice because I have a very deep attachment and affection for you people as a class. Uh, I have tremendously enjoyed being in here with you and participating with you and studying the scriptures and and hearing your interaction and your questions and your input and your thoughts and and just watching you as you try to live your Christian life and and uh, I feel that very deeply and I love expositionally teaching and studying the Bible I just love that yeah, I just thrive on that. So it's a hard decision to make. And so, of course, I sought counsel from people I knew and loved and whatever. I tried to keep it outside of the church because I didn't want to. Uh, uh, I didn't want to uh, uh, 
kind of let the cat out of the bag or get people uh, concerned about things they didn't need to be concerned about. And so, so, but I sought counsel and some people said, yeah, Rick, that sounds great. You really ought to do that. That's, you know, that's right down your alley. And then, and other people just simply offered thoughts, you know, not necessarily pro or con, but just their perspective. And that was helpful. And then some people said, no, Rick, you need to really stay where you are, you know. So a lot of good the council did. <laughs> it's all over the map, you know. Shoot, now I have to wait for God to tell me. Because <laughs> nobody's going to tell me, you know. So I'm waiting and waiting on the Lord for some leading, some indication. I am not the kind of person who typically likes to put out fleeces, and I don't do that. Uh, but there are some, there have been a few points in my life where I said to the Lord, Lord, I really need some clear direction on this. So, I, you know, I'm not going to put out any fleece or anything here, but, but I need to know. Uh, one time in particular was, uh, whenever it was, 15 or 20 years ago, when I first started resume teaching again on a regular basis. I'd been on a hiatus for a few years while God was doing some things in my life and then the question came up, did God want me teaching again on a regular basis? And I was not ready to move forward on that until I had some very, until he made it very abundantly clear to me and he did. Uh, I won't go into the details of that uh, just for time's sake, but he just made it very, very clear to me, I want you doing this, Rick. And so, Everything that, if there's been any benefit that you have gotten over the last number of years being in this class, it is because God made it clear to me, Rick, I want you to do this. And and it was all within a 24-hour period of time. But, so I'm I'm not the one to, to put out fleeces, but there are critical decisions in my life where I just go, okay, I can't move until I know. I just got to know. Somehow I got to know. So I'm praying about this and continually pray about it and continuing to think about it and I'm not getting any direction from the Lord. And I say to Ryan at one point, I said, Ryan, you better pray God shows me because I'm not getting anything. He's going, I'm praying, I'm praying. (laughs) And uh, so it was the week of VBS. And I came home from work on Thursday evening, which is, of course, the last day of VBS. I came home from work and uh, worn out as I usually am and went in the office and just kind of plopped down on the couch futon there in the office my wife was on the computer pecking away 90 mile an hour doing something and and uh, my wife doesn't kill time on the computer so I knew whatever she was doing was important you know and I just kind of sat there and watched her for a minute and then I just kind of casually asked so what are you doing you know she she wasn't writing an email uh, I can tell that, and that is what she usually is doing when she's on the computer. <clears throat> but she was typing something up, and so I just casually asked her what she was doing, and she turned around. And she had that look in her face like, this is a biggie. You know, you know sometimes when your wife looks at you, you know, and you just go, this is important to her. You know, and she just had that look. This is important to me. And she said, uh, well, she says I was at VBS. She said, I'm, re- I'm typing up a report for Kathy Presley. 
Now, I don't know if everybody's required to do this or whatever, but if you've been in a counseling situation in DBS, uh, I assume everybody is supposed to turn in a report of their counseling encounter. Uh, and uh, at any rate, that's what Mary was doing. And I don't know if she was doing it because it was required or if she was doing it just because of the specialness of this situation. But she was... Uh, she said, I'm typing up a report for Kathy on this little girl I counseled this morning, BBS. And uh, she said, uh, uh, you know, Randy gave the altar call uh, like he usually does. And, and she said, she said there, weren't, there weren't a lot of kids that came forward that day. But she said, there was almost one little girl came forward and she came up by me. She came by me. So she said, so I took her. And... Uh, and uh, they went back, I think, into the fellowship hall or wherever they go to talk to these kids when they come forward. And this little girl was nine years old. Her name was Rachel. Uh, Mary had never seen her before, didn't know who she was. She probably uh, hadn't seen her since, so probably does not come to Trinity. Her family probably does not come to Trinity, probably from some other church. <clears throat> But there's this little nine-year-old girl. So they come back, and, and, and Mary just says to her, she says, so, Rachel, so what are the, what was it about the things that Randy was sharing that, that you want to talk about? And uh, so this little nine-year-old girl, she says, well, it, she says, it wasn't so much what Randy was said. She said, uh, but I just have these questions. And she shared with Mary how she'd become a Christian when she was five. So this little girl, nine years old, she's been a Christian since she was five years old. She received Christ when she was five. Obviously, probably raised in a Christian home. And she said, she said, my parents are Christians. So her mother and father are Christians. And she's a Christian. And she's now nine years old. And she said to Mary, she says, I just have these questions. And she says, when I go to talk to my parents and ask my parents these questions, she said, they're either too busy to answer me. Or else they say to me, go look it up in the Bible. I'm going, what Christian parent? who has a nine-year-old child who's asking questions about the faith, says to him, go look it up in the Bible. Why would a Christian parent do that? Pardon? They don't know the answer. I mean, if you knew the answer and your nine-year-old Christian little girl came to you and asked you a question and you knew the answer, even if you didn't have time at the moment, You'd try to answer it. You know, you wouldn't just send them off to the Bible, would you? You'd sit down with them and open the Bible and say, well, here. <laughs> it was obvious. These parents didn't know the answer. And when Mary said that to me, I'm sitting there on the couch. And Mary says, her parents said to her, go look it up in the Bible. It was like God said to me, see, Rick? See what I mean? This is a critical need. So my wife then asked Rachel, 
She says, so uh, tell me, what, what are one of your questions? Now, I can't tell this the way my wife tells it, so I'll do my best. But what are one of your questions? And she said, Rachel got real quiet. And then she said, she waited for a minute. She's kind of a shy girl anyway. And she said, uh, how do you know God is God? And then she got real quiet and she said, I've been ashamed to ask this question. Now, I want to ask you, aside from the question itself, which is an extremely profound question, (laughs) how do we know God is God? What's going to happen in the life of that little girl if she grows up ashamed to ask her questions in the context of the church? She won't quit asking. She won't ask the questions in the church. She'll go to the philosophers. She'll go to the professors. She'll go to the high school teachers. She might get lucky and get a Christian. But she might not. And it just drove home to me. I'm sitting there on the couch and I'm going, okay, God, I got your answer. I know other people may see that and go, I don't know how you see an answer in that, but I saw an answer in that. And the Holy Spirit was saying to me, Rick, there's a need here and you need to do this. So, uh, um, trying to make sure I talk about things I need to talk about today. So, uh, prayed about it a couple more days, just confirmed it, and and uh, and then told Ryan that I would agree to do that. Of course, that obviously has implications for all of you as a class. Okay, uh, and we'll talk about that a little bit this morning. We'll talk about it in much more detail in the weeks ahead. This uh, this particular campus group, all these campus groups run on a one-year cycle, beginning in the end of October. So we have about two months before I'll be beginning. We always have that joint Sunday school where all the various campus groups share what they're doing and then people make a choice about which ones they want to go to, etc. And that's usually done in about mid-October. And so uh, this class will actually start in late October. So over the next couple months, we'll still be doing uh, normal things here, teaching. We will probably take a week or two of that period of time as a class to talk about things. Uh, I want to bring Ryan in and have Ryan participate with you on some of this. Uh, he, he's on vacation right now, so he wasn't available to be here today. Otherwise, I would have had him in here today for, to share some things. But, uh, <clears throat> but he's on vacation the next couple of weeks. But, uh, so uh, that's all stuff down the road that we'll want to talk about and work through and think through together. Uh, but my own vision is, is still developing on this exactly uh, what, how it's going to look and what it's going to be like and that sort of thing. Uh, I, when you're thinking about what is the church going to be like 50 years from now and how do I have some influence on that, then obviously, who's your target group? 
younger people, okay? So the, so the point is, what we want to be doing is we want to be equipping younger people with these answers, okay? And with this information. But when I'm thinking about targeting younger people, I'm not thinking about a, a class that just teaches young people. Like I said, we need to teach mothers. We need to teach fathers. We need to teach grandmothers. We need to teach grandfathers. We need to teach anybody who is in a place who will be at some point influencing younger people and having some impact on how the church thinks and what the church believes in the future. So, so while in some sense the kind of the target is 50 years down the road and hence the people are going to be around 50 years from now, those people who are going to be around 50 years from now are being influenced by us old fogies who are here now. Right? So, so while the kind of the target group in one sense is young people, that's not what this class is intended for. This class is intended for anybody who senses and realizes they have a need in this area. Okay? Or anybody who's trying to witness or share Christ in the context of the world. Uh, just for an example, just some of the things that uh, uh, at least so far in my mind, I'm going to sit down with Ryan cause, and brainstorm with him some because he's got some ideas. But uh, just uh, some of the issues that we'll likely be addressing is one is just what are, what are the spiritual foundations in my life that are necessary for Christ-like apologetics? Because apologetics can sometimes just be this kind of intellectual exercise and just getting in debates with people, Okay. And that's not Christ-like apologetics. Christ never did that. So what, what, are, the, what are the spiritual foundations for Christ-like apologetics? And then we'll be talking about things like naturalism and pantheism and the new religious synthesis and modernism and Islam. What is the nature of man? Is there a difference between the mind and the brain? You better hope there is. <laughs> uh, what about the existence of God? What about the problem of evil. How, how do we know anything? How do we know we know? Just the whole concept of knowledge is a tremendous stumbling block to many people. It's where postmodernism comes in. Okay? How do we know we know? Uh, we're talking about scientism and neo-Darwinism and modern cosmology, the Big Bang. You know, what, how does that relate to our faith? Okay? What are the implications for our faith of the Big Bang Theory? Uh, questions of intelligent design. Questions about the reliability of Scripture. Is it reliable? And aside from that, what is its authority? Even if it is reliable, is it authoritative? And aside from that, is it inspired? How do we know it's inspired? What does inspiration mean? Uh, what about the other Gospels that are out there? Supposedly other Gospels. What about miracles? We talked about that a little bit earlier. What about miracles? We're talking about things like uh, Christianity and its relationship to the Roman Empire. It's a big issue. And it has profound significance to evangelism today. Okay? And, and to the function of the church today. What about Emperor Constantine? Was he a good dude or a bad dude? Okay? The first so-called Christian emperor. What about the Crusades? People always bring up the Crusades. We'll talk about the Crusades. People don't really understand what went on there, and there's a lot of misconceptions. And then there's the post-Reformation wars of religion that profoundly influenced the Enlightenment. And, uh, and uh, 
How do we think about those wars of religion that went on for a hundred years after the Reformation? What about witch hunts and slavery? You realize, of course, the denomination that you fellowship with was founded in defense of slavery. How do you deal with that? Okay? How do you deal with that? Uh, Christian missions. Uh, Christian missionaries get an awful bad rap. Uh, I'll never forget, I had an opportunity one time with another fella. We were invited to speak in an OU anthropology class. I don't even know how this happened, but we got invited in to speak. And we went in to speak and, uh, and uh, we were talking about, uh, uh, we were talking about, um, uh, uh, shoot, the guy's name slips my mind right now. But the guy who wrote Peace Child, and he talks about how he, how he and his wife uh, went into this tribe in New Guinea, and uh, and uh, ended up uh, finding a way to present the gospel to these cannibals, these violent people, and uh, how this tribe was transformed and everything. And we made our whole case about how Christianity transformed this uh, tribe, and then the class just lit into us about the destruction uh, that Christian missions had brought to these idealistic cultures uh, around the world. And how do you answer those questions? Okay, those are some of the things that we're going to talk about. Uh, church, uh, the church and Western culture. What has the church's influence been in Western culture? What, what about the church and social issues like ecology and, and uh, things like that? And, and uh, what about... Uh, the church's relationship to modernity, to uh, to this modern world we live in. What what role did the church play in that? And is that good or is that bad? These are all things that that people ask questions about, and they have questions about questions about Jesus. Is what was Jesus' self understanding? What did Jesus really think about himself? Uh, what about his divinity and his humanity? How do those two things relate to each other? Uh, isn't that kind of a uh, oxymoron? Uh, his resurrection. Do you really believe that? I mean, we're talking about somebody. Have you ever known that to happen? Somebody got up out of the grave. Is there really evidence for that? Or are we just kind of just sort of making a leap of faith here? Uh, what about the New Age Jesus? The New Age movement has this whole concept of Jesus. What about the idea that Jesus, when he was a youth, traveled to India and studied under the gurus in India? People really believe that stuff. Okay. Those are some of the things we're going to talk about. Okay, so that's that's kind of the vision, and that's what the plan is. So again, uh, in the middle of October, sometime in the middle of October, whenever it is, the dates are out there somewhere. I just don't remember what they are. Uh, we have the joint Sunday school class uh, where uh, everybody gets to present what they're doing. And then the following week, uh, the new classes will start. Uh, it is our assumption, our presumption that this class is going to remain together uh, largely uh, and continue to do whatever it is that you as a class uh, with the uh, with the uh, uh, guiding of the uh, of the church leadership that you as a class feel the Lord wants you to be doing and 
and moving forward. And what that's going to look like at this point, we don't have any idea. That's largely, like I say, up to you. And I am more than willing to have whatever input into that you all want me to have. So we will have some discussions in the weeks ahead about these kinds of things. And uh, but uh, but what I want you to be doing at this point, or I hope you will be doing, is uh, that you'll be just praying and thinking about what is God doing in your life right now? What is God doing and how is he leading in your life? What does he want you doing? And where do you fit into this whole thing? Because if, in fact, as I believe, God has been leading the church leadership to provide this ministry within the context of the church. And if God has been, and I believe he has been, leading me to move into that position, then I believe that God is also leading here with you all. And I don't know what that is because it doesn't directly involve me, uh, except that I love you all and I care and I want you to grow. I want you to continue to thrive. I want you to continue to uh, enjoy God's word and feast on God's word and enjoy his, uh, his fellowship and fellowship with one another. But I'm not going to be directly involved. So it's really a question of what is God doing in your life? How is God leading you? And what does God want you doing in the immediate future? And those are some things that I would hope that you would be praying about and thinking about. How, uh, and then the, then the question is, how does the class make this transition? Okay. Uh, and what is the transition to? Okay. What are we moving to? And how do we move from what we have been doing to what we're going to do in the future? And it could be another teacher standing up here like I do uh, uh, and taking uh, five years to get through uh, First Corinthians or something. <laughs> uh, or it could be, uh, it could be uh, team teaching. Some of the classes do team teaching. And uh, Jim has suggested that might be a possibility here of uh, two or three different guys taking the responsibility for teaching the class and rotating through that. Uh, there's just a number of different things that are possible and Ryan has emphasized that, that uh, the sky's the limit, really. You, you know, within reasonable limitations, uh, the church is very open to just about anything you come up with. Um, so, and, and so another question to be thinking about is what will the leadership look like? What will the class leadership look like? Uh, those are some things to be praying about and thinking about. As I said, Ryan has, uh, has been involved with this from the outset. And, uh, of course, he is responsible for the campus group ministry of the church. That's his kind of, it's his category, one of his categories of responsibility. Uh, so he's very eager to be as much help as, as, he need, as we need him to be. And uh, he will come in and spend time with us uh, over the next few weeks as we need him to do. He'll make himself available to do that. Uh, so Ryan is available. I'm sure if you want to talk with him on a personal level, an individual level, uh, uh, he'd be glad for you to do that. I would be too if you have personal thoughts or comments you want to make. So anyway, that's where we are as a class. That's where we're moving the next couple months. In addition to thinking about this transition, we'll continue to study the scriptures together. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we... Uh, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you you are involved in our lives. We thank you that, uh, that you lead us uh, individually and collectively by your Spirit. Uh, 
We thank you, Lord, that for many of these questions that we have, that there are wonderful answers that uh, are provided for us both in Scripture and in the world around us. And so we, we are just grateful for that. We pray that as we move forward as a church, as we move forward as a class, and as we move forward as individuals, that you would be guiding our steps, that you would be directing us, that you would keep us from stumbling. We pray that whatever evolves from this point forward uh, in, uh, in our uh, corporate experience, that it would be something that would be honoring and pleasing to you, that it would be something that would, uh, would, would uh, reinforce our growth and our fellowship with you and our walk with you and our obedience to you uh, and would be honoring and glorifying to Christ. So we commit this whole thing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.